Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you uh, are having a good or had a good week, and, uh, and and I'm glad that you're with us this morning. I hope you have your Bible with you. So if you do, uh, go ahead and find the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Last Sunday, we finished our study uh, in the book of Acts. That was, I hope, a helpful study for you. I enjoyed teaching through it. Uh, we started that uh, at the beginning of the school year, so it took us all school year to do it, and we, we wrapped it up in chapter 28 last week. And uh, if you're going to be with us this summer, um, we're, our, our summer series on Sunday mornings is going to be in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we, we have, uh, in recent times, spent our summers diving into the Old Testament a little bit. Like I said, uh, on Wednesday night, we, in recent years, have studied through the Ten Commandments, uh, through the Minor Prophets, uh, through the book of Daniel. And so this, this year it's going to be uh, in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, which ought to be a challenging but rewarding study. We won't start that until May the 17th, Sunday May the 17th, which means we have a couple of weeks between Acts and Ecclesiastes, um, between, between uh, long, longer studies. So this morning... I thought we would look at a text that we made reference to uh, not too long ago uh, in our study in Acts. It's one of my it's one of my favorite passages on the on the theme of of prayer. And the reason I chose this is not only because we made reference to it in Acts, but also because prayer has been one of our central themes uh, this this uh, semester in our college ministry. So we, as a, as a church, Lakeview Baptist Church, uh, began this year with a, um, a week of prayer like we do every single year, but then uh, Venture Weekend, our, our Venture Weekend in, in the middle of February, the theme of that was, was on prayer. On Wednesday nights, the first half of the spring semester, we studied through some of the Psalms, not just to help us understand the Psalms better so that we understand the Bible better, which, which is not a bad thing to do. Because if you look at the New Testament and, and you look at how often the New Testament writers quote, cite, allude to the Old Testament, just notice how many times it's the book of Psalms that they are, that they are referencing. But, so we study the Psalms not just to understand the whole Bible better, but also to understand them better for our own prayer life and to be able to utilize the Psalms better in our own prayer life, knowing that they are the inspired Word of God that are given to us that in, in, in almost prayer and song form uh, that we can then turn back to the Lord in our own, in our own uh, prayers back to Him. We did the same thing after spring break. Uh, we're wrapping that up now in the Lord's Prayer. That's a New Testament prayer that the Lord Jesus left us uh, to incorporate in our own prayer life. And so prayer has been a constant theme since the beginning of the year in our college ministry. And so one of these two weeks between Acts and Ecclesiastes, I thought we would continue on that, on that theme of, of prayer. And I also picked this particular passage, not merely because it, is, uh, it's, it, it teaches us much about prayer, but I feel like it is uh, fitting for the time in which we're in. Um, because, you know, as, as, I, as I think about this, this season that we're in right now, life is, is funny sometimes. It's, it's, it's hard to figure sometimes because most, most days in our lives, think in normal times, right? Think in normal times. Most, most days of our lives, we, we feel like at least that we're 
uh, in complete control over our lives uh, or what happens to us in a particular day in a, in a lot of basic ways. I mean, we, we, we wear what we want to wear, we eat what we want to eat, we know what we need to get done that day, and we plan to do it, and we do it, and it just goes sort of like that. If a day, a lot of days, it goes just like that, or if we get to the end of a day and uh, it didn't go as planned, half the time it was my own fault. I wasted too much time and I didn't get done what I needed to get done. And so even though I didn't, it didn't turn out, it was within my grasp to, to have it happen just the way I wanted to. That's, that's most days that we live in, in normal times. Um, that's not every day. There are days, though, that uh, when, when the unexpected happens, something we did not foresee happening, that, that proved to us in the moment very unmistakably, that we are not in control of our own lives. We're in a whole season like that right now with this coronavirus pandemic, which, which nobody, quite honestly, saw coming uh, at the beginning of this year. We were just trucking right along, normal, uh, all the January, February, and then out of the blue, we haven't seen each other for almost two months. Um, and, and, you know... Things like that happen, not just whole seasons like the one we're in, but days like that. In normal times, things happen uh, regularly in our lives, small things, big things that, that we simply didn't expect to happen, or even if we th- thought that it might happen uh, when it did, it, it happened in a way that we didn't quite envision it happening. And, and, uh, and sometimes, you know, we make plans, and, and then they don't turn out. We have to rearrange or cancel things because something unexpected comes up. That's just, that's life. It's funny. Some, some days we feel like we're completely in control, and sometimes things happen that prove to us uh, something that should have been known all, all along, that we're not uh, in control. And sometimes those unexpected things happen, and it's not a big deal. You know, something I plan to do today, I'll have to put it off till tomorrow. But other than that, no big deal. But other times, those unexpected, unplanned things that come, come up that I had no control over, sometimes they alter everything in our lives for the foreseeable future. And they bring with it tremendous uh, stress or, or, or confusion or sadness or grief or anger or frustration. And we don't understand. And we want to know why things like that happen. We want to know why life is like that, and, and how should we respond in situations like that. And I do think that the passage this, this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, does shed some important light on those kinds of questions. Our passage is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, and it presents to us uh, Paul's take on a situation that happened in his life that I'm, I'm certain uh, he, he didn't plan on it happening. Uh, it's a situation that I, I, I doubt he ever wanted to encounter the first time, let alone ever happen again. But as he writes, and as he describes it, and as we look at the context, but you, if you were with us in the, in the study through Acts, you'll, it'll be a context you're familiar with. As, he, as we look at that context, and as we look at his description here in, of that event, in 2 Corinthians 1, I think it's a situation that gave him an opportunity to learn something important. In fact, it gave him an opportunity to learn uh, three things that are very important. They're very basic, but they're very important. 
Uh, it, it, it allowed him to learn something about himself. It allowed him to learn something about the Lord. And, and most importantly for our situation, our, our, our theme this morning, to learn something about prayer. And I want us to see those three, those three things in this passage. And I want us to pay a special attention to that third point on prayer. And, and it's something we need to hear. So before we go any further, let's read the passage together. I invite you to follow along as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, and we'll read through uh, the end of verse 11. Paul writes, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray. Father, we confess our faith that this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And we ask your blessing on our study of it. Would you please give us minds to understand the truth that we just read? And would you give us hearts to embrace and love that truth? Would you give us wills to obey and carry out in our own lives whatever it may lead us and call us to do? Lord, give us all ears to hear. Give me the help that I need to teach. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, like I said, I think there are, there are three really clear truths uh, it, that this passage has to teach us. And again, I'll reiterate, I don't think anything I'm about to say is going to be something you've never heard before, uh, but you know how I stand on that. It's the truths that we've heard a thousand times that will actually help us in the day of trouble. So here's the first tr- truth that is clear in this passage. And if you're taking notes, I'll give you time to write it, write it down. One, God uses our circumstances to help us see our dependence upon Him. God uses our circumstances to help us see our dependence upon Him. That is very, very clearly stated in the verses we just read, and it's confirmed elsewhere in Scripture. So that's the first truth. God uses our circumstances to help us see our dependence upon Him. Second truth, God's past faithfulness, God's past faithfulness, is meant to help us trust Him even more in the future. God's past faithfulness is meant to help us trust Him even more in the future. All, that's all the more reason, by the way, uh, for us to pay careful attention every day that we live uh, of all the ways that God has been faithful to us in the past and is being faithful to us in the present because He never changes and that will equip us for the future. That's the second truth. Here's the third and final. God has given us prayer for us to show our dependence upon Him. God has given us prayer for us to show our dependence upon Him. Prayer is the, is the primary way that we uh, express to the Lord our dependence upon Him and trust in Him. And I want us to see these three truths in this passage. So let's begin with the truth, the first truth, that God uses our circumstances to help us see our dependence upon Him. So I think this is what uh, we see in verses 8 and 9, if you look there. Look, let's look first at verse 8. 
This is, this is Paul beginning to recount a, a, a rather unpleasant event in his life. And he says in verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now, again, if you were with us in the study through Acts, you may already be familiar with the, the background to this comment. But if you're coming to this passage cold, like whatever, whatever he's describing in that verse, just listen again to how he describes that situation. He describes it as affliction. Some, some of the other translations translate it trouble and others hardship. In fact, he says it's, it was so bad in verse 8 that he thought that he and his companions were going to die. He says right there in verse 8, he says they despaired of life itself. We didn't read verse 9 yet, but he'll reiterate, reiterate it there in verse 9. He says that they felt like they had received the sentence of death. Right? So this was a... This was a, you don't say that about any casual situation. This was a low point in the life of the Apostle Paul, maybe the lowest. If you're familiar with 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is, is well known to be one of the most autobiographical of Paul's letters in which he, he is very uh, forthcoming in, in the hardships and the afflictions and the low points of his life and his, of his apostolic ministry. And this is the one that he mentions right out of the gate in the first chapter. So this perhaps was a low point in his life. Um, but this all happens, it says, uh, while, while he was in Asia. Um, that's what he says, and knowing that they would know what that's referring to. What was he referring to? Well, if you remember from a few weeks back, uh, what I believe he's referring to in verse 8 and 9 is something we read about in the book of Acts. Uh, remember what happened to him in Ephesus, according to Acts chapter 19. So if you want to hold your place in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and, and turn uh, to Acts chapter 19, you can look with me there at, it, at uh, a moment in his time in Ephesus, beginning in verse 31. When you find it, we'll read verses 31 through 34. And there we read, uh, beginning in verse 31, And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Don't go into the theater, Paul. <laughs> um, now some cried out one thing. This is what was going on into the th in the theater. Some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. That's a scary moment when everybody's mad, but nobody knows what they're mad about. Verse 33, some of the crowd prompted Alexander among whom the Jews had put forward and Alexander motioning with his hand wanted to make a defense to the crowd but when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours, two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So fortunately, Paul made it out of this episode alive and this episode eventually passed. But if, we're, if we look carefully at this, uh, what we just read, we'll notice that Paul uh, made some enemies in this process. So the people uh, of Ephesus were, were, were shouting, shouting down Paul preaching. What we didn't read was Paul uh, preaching there in the theater, and they started to shout him down. And, uh, and not, no, but notice also, 
particularly in verse 33 again, that a, a Jew named Alexander spoke up in the middle of the commotion, probably, it says to make a defense, probably trying to dissociate uh, the, the Jews from the Christians. Paul, you're mad at Paul, just, hey, don't, don't be mad at us, right? We, we didn't put Paul up to this. Um, we're, we're, not, we're not with him. But in verse 34, they shout him down too. And so now, in the, those few verses, you see that Paul has two groups of people who hate his guts, right? He's, he, not only did Paul and his companions have the pagans in Ephesus mad at him, but now they had the Jews mad at him too, right? The, that, the Jewish uh, community would cause even more trouble for him in the future. We know that because as you're in the book of Acts, if you ch- turn over two chapters to chapter 21, you'll recall that uh, he had at this point left Ephesus and now he's in Jerusalem. And while he's in Jerusalem, recall what happened in chapter 21. We'll re- begin reading in verse 27 through the first part um, of verse 31. He, th- Paul is in the temple, and he's arrested in the temple in these, in these uh, verses, beginning in verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Jews from Asia. So this is where it's connected to uh, 2 Corinthians 1. They stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian. There's the connection to... Ephesus with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought with him brought him into the temple. Then they then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut, and they were seeking to kill him. <laughs> uh, it, it, I can honestly say I've never I've never experienced anything like that. Um, it's hard for me to imagine myself in that, in that position. I, that, that had to have been absolutely terrifying. I mean, to, to not, not once but twice, but to, to be mobbed by a, a, a mob rush and dragging you uh, through the streets. It, it, it is easy, at the very least, to imagine that Paul, in that, in that moment, thought, I'm going to die, right? Uh, my friends are going to die. I'm going to die. And I think, you can turn back to 2 Corinthians 1 now, I think this is exactly the episode that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 1. And if you look at 2 Corinthians 1, you'll, you'll see how Paul reacted and what he learned from that experience. We already read verse 8, uh, and, he tell, and, and he tells us about those hardships that we just read about in, in Acts, where he thought he and his friends were going to die. But then you come to verse 9. Right, And Paul writes in verse 9, if you're looking there, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul learned in those episodes, he learned through those events that God brought him through those, those episodes, those hardships, those difficult things. God brought him through that to help him rely on God rather than himself. Now, you ask yourself, 
did, did Paul really not know that before he went through those events? Do you really think that he was totally ignorant of that truth before he went through those, those afflictions? No, I, I assume that he did know that, but he knew them in an even better and deeper and more and a realer way, having gone through them, than having just uh, learned about it through reading. It's almost like Job at the end of the book of Job, after he went through all of his hardships. Job says in the last chapter of that book, he's he, he talking to the Lord and he says to the Lord, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Job had heard that God was faithful in all of these ways, but it was when he went through those fires that he saw it with his own eyes, and he knew it in a way that he didn't know it previously. And sometimes, and again, old truths, but it's, it's equipping us for real life, sometimes hardship is, and really uncomfortable things in our lives are, are, are the only things that will make us come to that place in our lives. Uh, what do we read in the, in the Proverbs? Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. The, the writer says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may have to steal right, and dishonor my God. That, and and it, that is so true on both counts. I mean, he even mentions comfort there. It's when we're comfortable, right? that we tend to forget about God altogether, practically speaking, in our, in our moment-by-moment uh, daily living. And we certainly lose our, our, our sense um, of how desperately we need to depend on Him. That's why in, in one of the, the great prayers in the daily office in the Book of Common Prayer in the General Thanksgiving, one of the things you pray every day is, give me a due sense of your mercies, right? Sometimes we... It's not just enough to know it. We want to know that we want to have the sense of it in our daily lives. And sometimes when we're super comfortable, we lose that sense of just how desperate uh, we desperately we need and depend on the Lord. God has a good purpose in every hardship, and His purpose is not that we get angry or discontent or discouraged, but that our that our hope shifts off of earthly comforts. Our 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 hope shifts off of the mirage of earthly security, right? Uh, and to put it onto Him. And God's main purpose in, in, in adversity is to make us to stop trusting in ourselves, right? Or anyone else. That's, that's an idea that is not here, but not only here, but throughout the Scriptures. Um, especially in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 17, 5. Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. Or Psalm 146.3, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Or Psalm 33, verses 16 through 18. The king is not saved. Not even the king. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. A war horse is a false hope of salvation. And by its great might it cannot save. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on whose hope is, uh, on those whose ho- whose hope is in His steadfast love. Far too often in my own life, I'll, I'll, I'll freely admit to you and confess that far too often in my own life, it is when things are hard, it is is when things are confusing and very difficult that I really feel 
what is actually true all the time already. Right? I just feel it more keenly. And I am absolutely dependent upon God for every good thing and every provision. Whether I feel it or not, it's always true. So often, it's only in those hard times that I do feel it. Uh, Tim Keller put it well when he said, and Brother Al made a, an allusion to this just a few weeks ago when he said, you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have, right? Our circumstances are meant to lead us to trust Him and to, d- to depend on Him. But that brings us to the next truth. God's past faithfulness is meant to help us trust Him even more in the future. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a long-winded person. <clears throat> God's past faithfulness is meant to help us trust Him even more in the future. Uh, this is what happened to Paul in this passage. Look at, look at what he says in verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He delivered us. Think back to what was happening in Acts. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. And He will deliver us. On Him, we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Note the progression of thought in that verse. He delivered us, past tense. And He will deliver us, future tense. On Him, we have set our hope that He will deliver us again future tense. What gave Paul the confidence that God would would be there for him in the future? Uh, Well, God had been there for him in the past. And I'm I'm not saying, and Paul's not saying, that it's ever easy in the middle of affliction to walk by faith. He's not saying that, and I'm not saying that it's easy. But I will say this confidently and with a little bit of life under my own belt. It is easier to do it. It's not easy, but it is easier to do it when we've had to do it before and when we have seen God be faithful to us in the past, right? And this, and the thing about not just here, but think, think Paul even older than this with more life under his belt. In the last letter of his life that we know of, 2 Timothy, uh, Paul made a, a similar statement. In 2 Timothy 4.15, Paul talked about uh, someone who was, who was really giving him trouble uh, and being a thorn in his flesh. And uh, in verse 16, 2 Timothy 4, 16, Paul says, At my first defense, no one, no one came to stand by me. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. No one came to help him with the guy who was giving him so much trouble. But then he says in verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Even though nobody else came to to stand at his defense, the Lord had. And so he says in verse 18, the next verse, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Do you see that same progression there that we find in 2 Corinthians 1, also in 2 Timothy 4? I needed help. Nobody helped me. But the Lord was with me, and because of that, I know He will be with me. How long? Until I come to His heavenly kingdom in the future. 
That's the thought we see here in verse 10 in 2 Corinthians 1. The Lord brings us into circumstances that, that those circumstances have this design bring, to bring us to our, a, a, a real realization and a perceived sense of our need for Him so that we look to Him for our help. And when we do look for him, to Him for our help, He helps us. And, then we, and through that, we come to be better equipped and to trust Him even more in the future. And that brings us to one more point here. God has given us prayer. He has given us prayer for us to show our dependence upon Him, for us to demonstrate our dependence upon Him. God has given us prayer for us to show or to demonstrate our dependence upon Him. That's what we see in verse 11 where he writes, you also, talking to the church in Corinth, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on, your, on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. So he just said in verse 10, on him we have set our hope, right? His circumstances drove him to set his hope on the Lord and not on earthly comforts. On him we have set our hope, verse 10, Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer. We have set, on God we have set our hope, and you must help us by prayer. You put those two thoughts together. There's, they're two different verses, but Paul didn't put the verse numbers in there. They're, they're, they're conjoined thoughts, right? You put those two thoughts together, and you, you, you see that prayer is how we show our, our hope in God. It is how we show, it is how we demonstrate that we are trusting Him. And that is so indisputably true. It's, it's almost uh, a reflexive inclination in, uh, for the Christian. I've seen it be true in my own life that when I've been in a really difficult time or I've got some big event or deadline or, or some looming thing coming up, I have prayed more, right? And I've prayed harder, I've prayed more intensely. Because in those moments, I have been perceptively very aware of my need and my inability to do it myself and my helplessness, and, 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 and I have perceived God is not like me. He can help me, and I pray more and I pray harder. But the reverse is, is, is as I said earlier, sadly, too often true. I've noticed that when things are going well, I don't tend to pray as much or as fervently. Because I don't feel my need for the Lord as much, even though it's no less true. Oswald Chambers, who wrote the famous devotional book, uh, My Utmost for His Highest, wrote, We tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. And those are words I need to remember. I mean, um, and, 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 and what, is, what is true for me and what is true for you in that regard individually is also true for a whole, our whole college ministry and for our, our whole church as well. Uh, you, can, you can tell how much a ministry or a church, you can tell how much they are, are, are trusting the Lord and how, how keenly they see their need for the Lord and His blessing by looking at its prayer ministry. Um, churches and ministries can... Can, can trust in all sorts of things, and they do. <laughs> um, they trust in their, their, their pastor, 
or their leader. Um, they trust their, their music, the quality of it. They trust in their, their building. They trust in um, their community. They trust in their money. They trust in all sorts of things. But if we really, really knew that our church or our ministry, any church, any ministry for that matter, would cease to be without God's blessing, if we really knew that, would cease to be without God's blessing and without His favor and help, we would be a praying church. We would be a praying ministry. Especially if we knew that God would only grant His favor in response to our prayers. What if God blesses churches and ministries in proportion to how they pray? What if God blesses our college ministry in proportion to how we pray? I want us to see the Lord's blessing on our ministry, on our church. I want us to see it. And it has to begin with prayer. Um, Not just prayer in our big gatherings when we all come together, when we can finally meet together again, right? But especially in our smaller gatherings, in our missional community groups, or in in the summer months, if you're here in Auburn, we we want to encourage you to not only come to our our Monday night Bible studies, but get involved in a multiply group this summer. If and 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 and, and prayer will be a big focus uh, when when your multiply group meet, meets together. And let me just give you one last thought about all of this from this passage here. Paul's what is Paul's motivation? Um for asking them to join him in prayer. Because he says, you, we, on him we've set our hope and you can help us. It, he has, one of his motivations is to be helped by their prayers. But that's not the only motivation here. Look carefully at the motivation he gives um, at the end of verse 11. He says, so that many will give thanks. Thanks to whom? Thanks to God. So that many will give thanks. To him for the, on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. The more who pray, the more, more give thanks. And God is glorified more when more pray and more give thanks when he answers those prayers. So just recap what we've, what we've said from this great passage. And I hope you'll meditate on it um, for longer than what we've been able to give to it. God graciously... It doesn't always immediately feel gracious. We don't always understand the reason, right? But God graciously brings us into circumstances, even hard ones, even afflictions, as Paul described his here, brings us to those circumstances to make us realize how much we need him. And and we show him how much we know that and how much we Oh, we express our need of Him, right, and our trust in Him through prayer. We also know that the more we see Him answer our prayers and meet us when we need Him, the more we can trust Him in the future. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for this precious Word. It is a, it is a passage that I'm sure many of us have, have read and thought about and heard many, many times, and that's a good thing. I pray that when the day of trouble comes, when the day of affliction, affliction and hardship comes, Holy Spirit, I pray that this is the passage you would bring to our minds so that these 
these basic truths that we've thought about this morning would come flooding into our awareness to give us comfort and grace in those moments. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.